Blog Talk Radio. had to say 
And what it told me was we've done a very poor job in educating our youth, the ones who are supposed to take over for us. So Dr. King was assassinated at six. He was shot at 6.01 p.m. That was central time. And then he finally transitioned to be with the ancestors at 7.05 p.m. And so I was trying to get on as close to that time as I could because I wanted to play for you all a firsthand account of that assassination by the Reverend Billy Kyle. I met Reverend Kyle, and he was gracious enough to give me and my associate, Angela Thomas, an interview of the first-hand account, an eyewitness account almost, of Dr. King's assassination. And I know that there's many things, conspiracies, about Billy Kyle, but we always have conspiracies. But I do think that we have to live off of what we know and what we can prove. And what I do know is that it is fact that the Reverend Billy Kyle was there. It is fact that he was friends, friends with Dr. King. He was like Dr. King's Habarigani, someone that he respected and looked up to and guided, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was Billy Kyle's house where Dr. King was going that evening but was running late because he hadn't felt well earlier, but he felt he should go. So I just think that it's important that we know the history. And many of the greats are leaving us. And as they leave us, those shoes are going unfilled. And it is up to those who were there. I remember when Dr. King was assassinated. I remember waking up the day after. I remember Robert Kennedy talking about that assassination. It was a sad day. America burned after that assassination. I would say that most of the places where America burned, they never really recovered. So it's it's about an eight-minute talk with Dr. with Reverend Kyle, and I want you all to hear this. And I want to dedicate this to a young lady whose name means fish out of water. And the reason why I'm dedicating it to her, because as Africans in America, we are sort of fish out of water because this is not our native land. And as I learn more from our young people, they seem to be fish out of water in this land, though they were born here because of how little they know about who they are where they come from, what has gotten them to where they are. And without knowing that, it'll be difficult for them to traverse where they need to go to get beyond this place. So I just want you to catch, it's about eight minutes, I want you to catch this this bit of history, of our history, a firsthand account of the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. on April 4th. 1968 at 6.01 Central Time. He transitioned to be with the ancestors 
at about, I think it was 705 or 704. www.rossflags.com. I uh, am the only pastor they've ever had. That makes me the best pastor. There it is. They've ever had. And as long as you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that faithful day. Tell our audience there, there, about there's that. Not a, there's not a day that goes by that something does not occur that brings it all back. Mm -hmm. And I've learned to live with it. I have. And, and when I see the reaction that people have, no matter where they come from, whatever country, whatever language they speak, when I see the reaction they have to my witnessing, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm around the museum as often as I can. And I, I do a lot of VIP tours. I just did uh, the Dalai Lama really? uh, about a month ago. Mm -hmm. And he was just so gracious. And his, his sincerity just oozes out of him. And I took him through the museum. I don't always take them all the way through, but I take him at least to the king room. That's the room that we spent the last hour in. And as I'm showing it to them, uh, many times they will just be overcome and, and, and weep openly. He didn't do that, but he, he took off his shawl. I said, Martin was standing right here when the bullet hit him. Mm -hmm. The Dalai Lama took off. It has a name. I don't know the name, but it's a, it's a shawl, and he put it around a wreath that marks the spot where he was standing. And then he, up to that time, he held my hand the whole time we were on the balcony. And then, I mean, it was just such a wonderful feeling. And he did a prayer, mm -hmm. and everybody in the place, they proud bowed their head or they did a prayer. I thought that when I uh, took President Mandela through, that there was no way to top that because he also wept. Mm -hmm. He said, this is where Martin died. It's holy, sacred ground. Yeah, and, and with all that he had been through, mm -hmm. everything he had been through, he wept openly 30 years after King's death. And it just blew me away. Wow. And... I said, I don't, there's no way to beat this, but the Dalai Lama's coming close. <laughs> He's coming close to me. Especially that, with, the, with the pressure that the Dalai Lama yeah. is going through right now in, yeah. in his own community. I, I'm sure that had particular uh, reverence for him mm. to be in, in, in the place where a visionary such as Martin Luther King lost his Lost his battle. Yeah. Lost his battle. And yeah. Um, yeah. But the day itself uh, is just filled with so many memories. Most of them sad, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's why I try to use a little humor in, in, in portraying the story. And then I spend some time trying to humanize him that he wasn't a saint. He didn't drop out the sky. He didn't come from Mars. He was a man like anyone else. Mm 
And from what I understand, he had quite a sense of humor. Oh, he did. So I'm sure he would want his friends to celebrate yeah. that aspect of his existence. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and we do, and we do. Uh, to see all that blood, I mean, the bullet just did so much damage. Clinically, he was dead on the balcony. Mm -hmm. I took a spread from one of the beds and covered him from his neck down and put a towel to his face. And it was like chaos. The police came and they were very helpful. They stopped people from coming up on the balcony. The picture that I talked about that's pointing, uh, some people did slip up to the balcony, but not many. Mm -hmm. And they and that was that was helpful because, you know, it was panic and it was with good reason there was panic. And I did I chose not to go to the hospital with him mm -hmm. because I thought I needed to be at the motel mm -hmm. handling any kind of you know, questions or things. I got somebody on the switchboard and I had Jesse to call Coretta and I called my home and it was I mean my my youngest son's I heard it. He was giving an interview, the children of the movement. Mm -hmm. And just recently he said, Dad, do you know what I had for dinner the night that Martin was killed? I said, no. He said, with all that food there, I had to eat a peanut butter sandwich because nobody thought about the food. It was just there. I think they might have taken to church the next Sunday and had it. But it never occurred to me that the death would affect the children the way that it did. Mm -hmm. My oldest son, he said, you know, we were coming, he was coming here. I was going to have a chance to, to, to ask questions and talk about the movement and all. Because dinner was a big deal. It wasn't just, just dinner. It was more than that. It was an event. Mm -hmm. A communing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Some things I remember, so I picked out his tie in the room. The bullet severed the knot and turned it upside down. I remember that, I guess, because I picked it out. But I remember I took a, a crushed cigarette out of his hand. Mm -hmm. He never wanted kids to see him smoke. So when the bullet hit him, he was going to light it in the car. When the bullet hit him, he squeezed the the cigarette and it was still in his hand when he was so I took it out of his hand and I took the package out of his pocket and when I'm lecturing to young people I share that with them because I said Martin Luther King smoked I said yeah he was a human being with all that he was under pressure poor people's campaign Memphis campaign Chicago and, housing and all the things that he was doing, I said, he wasn't drugging. He just smoked a cigarette. He's a human being. No drugs involved. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. If you make a saint out of him, then you can excuse your behavior mm -hmm. or non-behavior. I said, well, I don't... I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, equipped. And we had many people in the movement who, who, who would not ascribe to nonviolence. Mm -hmm. 
Many of them wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So we tell them, so you stay at the office and answer the phone. You can't go out, <laughs> and get, you can't go out on the march. And then uh, we waited. During that waiting period, I, I was doing all kinds of things. And once it was clear to me why I was there, then I have no problem. It was like a relief. Mm -hmm. I knew it had to be more than just being there. Mm -hmm. And so I was up all night. I don't know when I changed clothes. I went to Atlanta with the body, came back and dealt with the fire. So you, this is Rodney. I'm, I'm back again. And what you were listening to was a first-hand account of the Reverend Billy Kyle, who was there when Martin, when the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And I thought it was important for us to hear some words from someone who was actually there, who actually seen it. And many of those people they're, they're, they're in the years now. I had a chance to meet them face-to-face. -face. There's, there's value in living history, maybe even more so than history that we didn't witness. Because history that we didn't witness, we have to take someone else's word for it. And then we have to take someone else's word for it. Not only weren't they there, but then they may have had to hear it through how many different iterations of what really happened. Dr. Billy Kyle was there, and you just heard it from him, from someone who was there with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. It's important that we keep telling the stories and keep telling the stories and keep telling the stories. I was having a discussion with several people, and even Candy Condon did uh, a Facebook Live, and in the conversation, Dr. King was compared to Tupac. Uh, he was, he said, she said, for pop culture, uh, Tupac and uh, the, the brother that was recently murdered uh, in California, uh, someone I didn't know that much about, but the little bit that I did hear within a month, and he's gone. He's transitioned to be with the, with the ancestors. And many of you know him as Nipsey Hussle, a young man who was making moves in the community. But many people, and, and even here in Las Vegas, we have a larger-than-life-size statue of Dr. King, one of maybe 26 in the nation. We have 50 states, and some, there's more than one in some states, off of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King or Martin Luther King Boulevard, maybe 125 in the country. But it also has... Coretta Scott King Roses at the base makes us unique among all right here in Las Vegas. And I went out there to just commune with the statue and, and sort of get the vibe of our ancestors, Dr. King. I remember waking up that next day, and this was yesterday, and how the country, as Franklin G. would say, was on fire. But what I remember, one of the reasons why there weren't riots in some places, was the words, unlikely person, someone of Irish descent with mean political 
aspirations who may not have been all that fond of Dr. King initially, but who gave some of the most powerful words once he had been assassinated and who later was assassinated himself. And I'm going to see if I can bring these words up. And again, I dedicate this not only to fish out of water, but to all of the fish out of water, to the Africans in America, and to all of those who were too young to have witnessed the, the life and the achievement of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and how every black person and many Americans in general today live off the legacy of Dr. King, where we live, where we meet, how we do business, how we get paid, the jobs that we have, to be able to move freely throughout this country without needing the green book. All of those things can be attributed to Dr. King. But to our young people, Nipsey Hussle, a young man coming up, Tupac, another young man, assassinated. Dr. King, I believe, was 39 years old when he was assassinated. Nipsey Hussle, I believe, was 33. And, and I have to admit, I didn't really know that much about Tupac, and I still don't. I know about Dr. King. And I want you all to know about his legacy because you're living it. The only question is, how are you living it? How much do you know about the man we call King? Here's one more. This is about two minutes and 48 seconds. Next, we'll hear about a wrenching event and a speech that helped give it meaning. Forty years ago today, a presidential campaign was underway, which is why the candidate, Robert F. Kennedy, was visiting Indianapolis. He was scheduled to speak in a black neighborhood on April 4, 1968, and he went ahead that volatile night, even though his police escort refused to follow. Just before he faced the crowd, he asked an aide, do they know about Martin Luther King? They didn't. I'm only going to talk to you just for a minute or so this evening because I have some very sad news for all of you and I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. And then Barbara Kennedy sort of calmed the whole crowd. Billy Bro was in that crowd that evening watching the brother of a slain president. And I remember, most importantly, him saying that he had had a member of his family killed by a white man. It's often pointed out that many cities burned after King was killed. There was no fire in Indianapolis, which heard the words of Robert F. Kennedy. A historian says a well-organized black community kept its calm, and it's hard to overlook the image of one single man standing on a flatbed truck who never looked down at the paper in his hand, only at the faces in the crowd. My favorite poem, my, my favorite poet was Aeschylus. He once wrote, even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own day despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom 
and compassion toward one another and a feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. Spoken on the night of April 4th, 1968. And so finally, I want to bring to you all how to do this. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., civil rights leader and Nobel Prize winner, was shot and killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. In Washington, at the White House, the news reached President Johnson as he was preparing to leave for Hawaii and conferences on Vietnam and the possibilities of peace negotiations there. The President, uh, we are expecting to make a statement on the tragedy tonight in Memphis very shortly, and are standing by for that. Dr. King was in Memphis to lead demonstrators in support of striking garbage men there. He was standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel on the second floor when a single shot came from across the street. It apparently hit him in the neck. He was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital in Memphis and died there an hour after uh, the uh, attempt uh, on his life, which proved to be successful. Police swarmed into the area. They already were keeping an eye on it since uh, riots a week ago yesterday uh, that broke out after Dr. King led what he hoped would be a nonviolent demonstration in support of the striking sanitation men. Some 6,000 persons were in his line of march when uh, young Negroes began rioting. 300 of them participated in the riots. Uh, one of them was shot before the rioting, which did widespread damage, was over. The National Guard was called into Memphis, and only today. This was the first day that the National Guard had not been on duty in Memphis since that riot. Dr. King had promised another march for next Monday. He had said that it would be nonviolent. He was sure he could control it. However, the police in Memphis had gone to court, federal court, for a restraining order. They got one, a 10-day restraining order to keep Dr. King from leading his marchers in Memphis. However, Dr. King appealed that order, and the federal judge said he would rule on his appeal tomorrow. Dr. King had indicated he might attempt to lead his march in Memphis regardless of the effect of the appeal. However, he never had a chance to carry out that threat or to further lead his forces in Memphis or elsewhere. The 39-year-old Nobel Peace Prize winner and uh, considered to be a moderate Negro leader today uh, was shot and killed on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel tonight. King was born in Atlanta January 15, 1929. He was the son and the grandson of prominent Negro ministers in Atlanta, and he had an extended education. He graduated finally with a doctorate from Boston University in 1954 and got his first pastorate uh, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And it was there he was, or Montgomery, Alabama. It was there he was to win fame because in December 1955 he took leadership of a bus boycott there and he, uh, in his policy of nonviolence over the period of a year, won that strike with a federal desegregation order in Alabama. His nonviolent campaign spread through the South, and he became the leader of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, a conference primarily of Negro ministers. Since the rise of radical Negroes, such as Stokely Carmichael and Rap Brown, 
Uh, King had been considered uh, a voice of moderation, and uh, white leaders had looked to his policy of nonviolence as a hopeful antidote to those who preached riot and hatred. King was married and had two children, a daughter Yolanda and a son Martin Luther III. His wife was notified in Atlanta tonight, told only that he had been shot in the shoulder to spare her uh, any further concern and alarm as she flew back to uh, Memphis. Uh, whether she has arrived there or not, we have not been advised. We have just been advised, however, that Governor Buford Ellington has ordered 4,000 National Guard troops into the city. A curfew has been clamped on Memphis. Immediately after the shooting at 6 o'clock tonight, police cordoned off several blocks of the area around the Lorraine Hotel where King was shot. And uh, other police were chased, according to information on the news wires, a car that was held three young white men. One young white man was seen fleeing from the scene from a building across the street from the shooting. A block from the Lorraine Hotel, a 3006 rifle was picked up. Whether it definitely has been identified as the murder weapon or not has not been established. And later tonight there were reports of police chasing a car with three white men in it through the suburbs of Memphis. Whether that was directly connected with the King shooting also not confirmed. That was Walter Cronkite, but I wanted to leave you uh, with the words of Dr. King on a topic that's in the news today, and then hopefully I'll be able to fit in one more. If not, you're listening to Our Own Voices Live, and this is our memorial to the one who's with the ancestors now, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I know all of you are studying hard, and you're just doing fine in school, and I'm glad to see you. In the last two months of his life, Dr. King faced the idea that civil rights alone could not solve the problem of poverty. In Mississippi today. He roamed the South, trying to gain support for Poor People's Campaign. Its goals, full employment, a guaranteed income, and decent housing for every American. People just don't know, but it's really hard. Not only me, it's so many more it's in the same shape. I'm not the only one. It's just so many of us right around. It's just don't have shoes, clothes. It's naked and hungry. Part time you have to cook at your own pinto beans morning down in supper. They don't know what else get a good meal. You all are really to be admired. And I want you to know that you have my moral support. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be coming back to see you. And we are going to be demanding when we go to Washington, that something be done, and done immediately, about these conditions. Yes. This was a different Martin Luther King. Just weeks before his murder, in tones suggestive of the Black Panthers, he began to talk about how the government had broken its promise to the newly freed slaves just after the Civil War. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. 
Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. Many people didn't know that Dr. King was talking about reparations. Many people, even to this day, don't know that Dr. King didn't just talk about uh, what was going on in D.C. He was talking about, and as you heard, heard him talk to some of those people, he was there in the thick of it. He was there in the hood. He was there, whether it was in Chicago, walking down Woodward Street in Detroit, as you heard in Memphis, Tennessee marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, Selma, Alabama, wherever there was a need, he was there with the people because he was one of the people. I don't want us to ever, ever forget that, who the man was. As Reverend Billy Kyle said, yes, he was fallible. He was a human. He even smoked. He had a great sense of humor. You see, I know Dr. Robert L. Green. Dr. Robert L. Green was sort of the education person for the movement. He lives right here, and I've had a chance to interview him, and I've heard those personal stories that's not in the news media. You see, talking to these people, I get to know the man, and I get to know the real thing. And I want to make sure that you all know it so that when people start telling things, I want you to base it off of firsthand accounts. That was those were first hand accounts. And finally, I there's more of Dr. King's speeches that I would like for you to hear. And as time goes by, I want you to hear them. But the one that that touched me, as many of them touched me, the yes, hearing Reverend Billy Kyle talk about that fateful day. But I want you all to hear how people have changed and can change and then be powerful advocates, even though they don't look like us, but know which ones are there for us. And I, but I want you to hear the words of Robert Kennedy, who I believe this was a seminal moment in his life that changed him, just as Lincoln had a seminal moment in his life with Frederick Douglass that changed him. I want you to hear these words again and on that. I will be out, but I want us, instead of acting as if we're fish out of water, to jump in and swim and swim in the deep water. Next, we'll hear about a wrenching event and a speech that helped give it meaning. Forty years ago today, a presidential campaign was underway, which is why the candidate, Robert F. Kennedy, was visiting Indianapolis. He was scheduled to speak in a black neighborhood on April 4, 1968. And he went ahead that volatile night, even though his police escort refused to follow. Just before he faced the crowd, he asked an aide, do they know about Martin Luther King? They didn't. I'm only going to talk to you just for a minute or so this evening because I have some very sad news for all of you. 
And I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. And then Barbara Kennedy sort of calmed the whole crowd. Billy Bro was in that crowd that evening watching the brother of a slain president. And I remember, most importantly, him saying that he had had a member of his family killed by a white man. It's often pointed out that many cities burned after King was killed. There was no fire in Indianapolis, which heard the words of Robert F. Kennedy. A historian says a well-organized black community kept its calm, and it's hard to overlook the image of one single man standing on a flatbed truck who never looked down at the paper in his hand, only at the faces in the crowd. My favorite poem, my, my favorite poet was Aeschylus. He once wrote, even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own day despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another and a feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. Spoken on the night of April 4th, 1968. So I, I wanted you all to hear the voice of Dr. King. I wanted you to hear the voice of someone who was there. I wanted you to hear someone else who changed partially because of Dr. King. And I, and I want you all to know, and I say this with no equivocation, that as even if I, I heard the tremble in Bobby Kennedy's voice, and Kennedy tended to have sort of a natural falsetto to their voice, but it was a little something extra that day. And that was genuine, I believe. But this is genuine for me. April 4th, 1968 is the day that I King was taken. April 4th of every year since will be the day that we recognize the transition from this earthly plane to the existence with the ancestors of the late great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., our king. And our statue is the king statue, place that I hold in great reverence and almost to a level of holiness. And it is Dr. King's statue. It is the embodiment of him that hopefully is in each one of us to continue that legacy. And may we never forget that almost everything that we have today, we have because of the work of the King, our Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Well, you've been listening to 
Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. assassination told by Reverend Billy Kyle. I'm Rodney Smith, your host in the air chair today. Look up Billy Kyle. Look up Bobby Kennedy. Look up the King. 